Hey my friend this is your host again Nishant and before we start this podcast episode I would love to tell you that I am receiving podcast feedback survey and the intention of this podcast feedback survey is to know who are my active listeners personally so that I can create a magical heartfelt experience and touch your heart through my personal stories and guest personal stories and learnings this feedback will really help me to see what you love the most about this podcast and where i can improve and then i can double down on the activities you love the most and slowly adding new things from this category of new improvements there are total 6 short questions which will only take 5 to 7 minutes and the link of this podcast feedback survey is in the description of this podcast The first question is how would you feel if you could no longer listen to this podcast in case if i stop publishing it how would you feel somewhat disappointed very disappointed not disappointed at all <laughs> you don't care and the second question is what is your favorite go to podcast platform apple podcast spotify could be others and number 3 what have people do you think would benefit the most from this podcast Question number 4 is what is the main benefit you receive from this podcast? Number 5, how can I improve the podcast experience for you? And the last question is what can I do not to make this better but to make you tell everyone about this podcast? Whoever you meet in your life, you tell about this podcast. Listen to Nishankar show, listen to this show. What can I do differently that you tell everyone about this show? There are total 6 short questions and this link and the form link is going to be in the podcast description so please check it out i would really really appreciate your feedback this form and thank you so much again and now let's start the podcast so mindfulness buddhism stoicism they are great practices and we can mm-hmm. integrate all these practices it is just not and or we have to learn to integrate are you, are you a fan of the stoic philosophy i have read i have read a stoic philosophy i have read book lessons from marcus aurelius meditations from uh-huh. marcus aurelius and uh, there's a book of tim ferris ebook from tim ferris I'm forgetting the name. It's from Stoic Philosophy or something like that. Yes, I I've read okay. few chapters. I remind myself that you know, you cannot change the outer circumstances. If you have a control on the things, take control. If you don't have a control, then don't take control. There is no point in worrying about it. So, stoicism is is a good way to build strong resilience. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you one of the limitations of it though is there there's it's a cognitive approach which is fine you know change your thinking however a lot of our issues are embedded in our nervous system are somatically based are preverbal and you can't think your way out of them thinking is a good start creating a new mental model a new cognitive tool but you can't think your way out of a particular reaction or reactive state. We can get into that later in terms of my somatic work, but you also ha- had another question for me. Yeah, so we can talk about somatic work. Then if we cannot think beyond our beliefs, then how do we go deep into a subconscious? How do we change our thinking? 
So the way I, so a lot of the people I work with when I was a therapist and now as a coach and educator, a lot of the issues they deal with in terms of ingrained conditioned habits were generated for them or inside of them in utero, post-birth, age one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, like around that time in their lives. And it's not until much later, if you look at developmental psychology, where we start really developing a mental self-sense. You don't have it when you're two or three or four. You start developing it. That's when you when you have a mental self-sense and you can start managing your physical body. That's why you can not put in your pants and pee in your pants and stuff. But it takes a while to develop a mental self-sense and ego that able that is able to manage the physical body. A lot of people's traumas, whether it's sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, or whatever it happens to be, or even at scale, smaller versions of all those same things, for many people happens before they have a mental self-sense, which means in practice that if you don't work through their nervous system, you don't work through their body, you can't really help heal them or help themselves heal themselves through just cognitive behavioral work. Because it's not just a thinking issue, it's a physiological somatic issue. What could be the healing modalities? Yes, it does make sense for sure. What could be the healing modalities to work on our body behaviors and body experiences and heal those things that we cannot just heal through cognitive behaviors? Great question. And uh, I would start by saying when I work with people, the first thing I do, and this is in parallel with anything else though, so it's not really first, but it's parallel, is helping people dial in their physiology. You mentioned you interviewed Kirk Parsley. So for me, sleep is really important for my clients. Their food intake, their stress management, their time in nature, their social engagement, their sleep, their exercise, their movement patterns, all those things we track and modify to improve, to optimize your physical body. The reason, besides it's a good thing to optimize your physical body, but the good thing in doing so, and this will answer your question, is change is hard if you feel like shit. Like if you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're not moving, and you just feel like crap, it's hard to change your thinking. It's hard to manage your emotions because you're, you're just not feeling well. If you dial on all those things, you start feeling better, changing how you think about things and managing your emotions and managing your mind is easier. Okay. That's one thing on the somatic side of things. We in the West, especially here in the States tend to be heady people. We live inside of our heads, you know, between our ears and crown and our jaw. We, you know, we use our bodies for very particular things. We don't live inside of our bodies. And that's a broad generalization. That's not true for everyone. But my experience would suggest with a lot of pe- thousands of people I've worked with over the years is that, you know, there are either parts of the physical body, which we don't have contact with, or the totality of the physical body, we don't have contact with from within for various reasons. When I say stuff from within, I don't mean like we can't move our arm to lift a weight or we can't move our leg to move our body. I mean like we don't experience what it's like to be inside of our, our heart area or GI tract or inside of our legs or feel our feet grounded on the earth or, or where various parts of our body. So what I do with clients is as I help them re-engage contact with their body, what is it like to be inside of your body? I do that through posture work. 
I do that through awareness, mindfulness practices. I do that with movement practices. I do that with breath practices. And one of the things I find in working with people this way is not only they they have more connections to their physical body, which were inside their physical body, which means there's more intelligence because there's an intelligence within the body. There's a wisdom in the body. There's also more pleasure in the body. So there's a lot of benefits from just being inside the body anyways. But if there is any kind of trauma at scale, you know, from physical, mental, emotional, or abuse or neglect or any kind of scale of version of that. And you, and you slowly, you have to be really careful. This is not just something you will nearly do. You slowly re-engage those parts of your body, which you're disconnected from. You, you start undoing the damage that was caused to those parts of the body from the trauma. Uh, and you mm-hmm. revivify those parts of the body. They come back to life. Energy flows through them. And the natural intelligence within those body parts comes alive. And there's a new communication patterns that happens throughout the whole of the physical body from that place to other parts of the body as well. So th- I do that kind of work as well as working on how people think and feel about certain things. And I also work on, like like I said, the kind of energetics of the, of the body as experienced from within you mentioned about movement exercises what could be the movement exercises that you recommend so i'm trained in movnat uh, erwan lacour's uh, system so at the gross physical level i always encourage my clients almost my clients to at least start something like a movnat practice now this is not a somatic practice per se but this is just teaching you how to walk, crawl, run, throw, climb, carry, lift, appropriate to gravity. So you're less likely to injure yourself. You're more likely to use your body more appropriately. That is a good start. And then you build upon that and you can, you can start doing seal fit wads or CrossFit wads or the martial arts or whatever, but you want to have basic movement patterns done, integrated into your nervous system really well. So you're not setting yourself for injury. That's one type of movement. Now, that's more gross physical movement. The more subtle movement that I encourage my clients to do are things like yoga, tai chi, uh, qigong, you know, where you are much more mindful of very subtle movement patterns and the connection between those movements, feelings, thoughts, and energetics of the body. So you're kind of doing an integrated whole approach. Now you can, you can do that with CrossFit. You can do that with SealFit. You can do that with the harder martial arts, but it's a lot more difficult to be mindful of subtle movement patterns when you're lifting heavy weights over your head, running long distances. You know, the better thing, at least in my mind to do is start more with subtle movements and just see the full range of movement that is possible. Because as I've discovered, and I'm sure you've discovered this as well, any kind of mental, emotional inflexibility can show up in the physical body. Physical inflexibility can show up mentally, emotionally. So as someone becomes more flexible, and I don't mean like, like doing the splits, I mean really subtle movements of the, of the physical body from within, there's a shift inside of them psychologically. Like they become more loose, they become more open, they become more receptive. So that's why the subtle movement is so important, not just the gross physical movements. And then you can integrate the two eventually down the road. 
But as I said, I find that if you do the more subtle movements as an awareness practice, it changes your psychology. Just as you start changing your psychology, it will change your experience of your body within if you are aware, aware enough of, of those two spaces. Michael, these are great practices, amazing mind-body practices. I want to ask you if somebody who is a beginner, who is new into all this space, and when we are talking about so many things, it might feel overwhelming to someone who is new. So how should a beginner start on these practices on their on this journey it's a great question and i and i'm not fearful that's not the proper word i hesitate <laughs> to give broad global advice because there's no one size fits all for everyone you know that's why when i work with clients or groups of people i get to know who they are so i see i can meet them where they're at so I'll make, I'll make some broad general statements. Obviously, talk to your doctor if you have any health conditions, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, if you can do yoga or a Tai Chi or a Qigong as a starting point. Now, yoga, not in the traditional Western sense of how we do it here, like stretchy, bendy. This is more like the traditional yoga of awareness practice where you integrate mind movement, energetics, psychology, in the movement itself. So that's what, it's more of an integrative practice, less of like, I want to be stretchy, bendy type stuff. Not saying all yogis here in the West are stretchy, bendy, but there's a tendency to be very structured and uh, more fitness oriented for a lot of the yoga people that I've seen, as opposed to the more spiritual practice of getting into the body, experiencing the body as it moves slowly in new positions and the effects of those new positions on breath, on energy, on psychology. So. You know, using using it more as a spiritual practice than as a just as a physical practice, and or tai chi or a qigong is a great start. And then I would add on top of that something like movnat, because then you can actually learn to move appropriately to gravity based on your muscle and bones, so you're not setting yourself up for injury. And then as you you know that works out for you over time, then you can up, upgrade it. Then you can add in, you know, if, if you're into CrossFit or Seal Fit or, or whatever your thing is. But you know, I would suggest first is to kind of get the breath down, get the subtle movements down, and then learn how to move more appropriate to gravity, like an on a move nat type system, and then add on to that more gross physical training, whether it's biking, running, swimming, whatever it happens to be. When you wake up in the morning, what do you do in the first 60 to 90 minutes of waking up? Walk our dogs. We have a whole routine. (laughs) (laughs) So I drink water. There's some supplements I take first thing in the morning. I'm working with a breathing coach. His name is Matt, amazing guy. So I do his exercises first thing in the morning, which only takes like five to 10 minutes of breath practice. There are some f- movement practices I do just to get my, my body movement, different than the breath practices, so I do that. And then we literally take our dogs out for a walk. We stop by our local coffee shop, get our coffee. We come home. I set up my day for the rest of the day. And then I usually make the breakfast. So I'm usually make breakfast around 10 or so, a couple hours later. And then my wife will do dinner. But <clears throat> yeah, and, and I also do intermittent fasting except for Christmas time, because I F that up. But 
<laughs> so I'm also on a you know pretty restricted eating time period as well. So that will also play into my daily schedule when I can have breakfast. I don't do lunch, and then when I have a dinner. What's your typical breakfast? Eggs, salmon, onions. It's like a Leo, locks eggs and onions. <laughs> yeah, and I also will do on occasion an omelet with eggs, mushrooms, avocado, and onion. I think I might have said onions on the side, and onions as well. <clears throat> Actually, pretty much every day is, is some version of that is what I have. And you mentioned about supplements. Can you name some of them? Sure. So I do vitamin D, D3, K, vitamin K, about 5,000 I use. And I might actually increase, I'm, when, fall, winter, that increases a little bit. But generally speaking, that's my, that's my number I do on a daily basis. Got to have a, a, I do some creatine. Um, and I do creatine less for the muscles and more for brain health. There's a guy named Will Brink, great guy. He's, he's big into bodybuilding and supplementations and stuff. And I've been reading his stuff over the past many years, and creatine has been shown to be effective for brain health. Also, interestingly enough, for TBIs, which makes sense, and for PTSD as a center, secondary result of the TBI, which is quite fascinating. So I do some creatine too. There's quite a few Ayurvedic herbs that I take, which I won't be able to pronounce. <laughs> uh, or tell you exactly what's in them. But some of them are for like stress management type type things. Some of them are for mental focus, some of them to re relax at night. And that really depends too on, on the day and what's going on for me. I'm a big fan of uh, Neurohacker Collective. So I take their Qualia product first thing in the morning, uh, the caffeine-free one. It's, uh, you know, for cognitive enhancement. And then they have one for sleep, which doesn't induce sleep, but provides all the precursor supplements that your, your brain needs for sleep. And I take that at dinner time. God, I'm trying to imagine my closet because I like it's just full of supplements. And I let me see, let me think if there's others that come to mind. But everything I just mentioned, I don't necessarily do all year round. I cycle in and out of stuff. So I, I won't, there's nothing except for vitamin D. 3K, I, I take all year round. There's hardly anything I take all the time for my totality of my life. And there might be something I take more regularly, but I, I also, on Saturdays, I don't take anything, as an example. I, I cycle off stuff. And there's other things I will just cycle off, off for weeks or months at a time. And as someone who's been experimenting with cognitive enhancing drugs and supplements since high school, if something new comes on the market, I'll try that too, because <laughs> I, like, I like to experiment with stuff. <laughs>